Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode number 53 of the Global Geek News Podcast, and as always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Oh, I think you know the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, after that blog post, I think everybody kind of knows the answer to that question for a little while. Yeah. But, yeah, it's not a fun situation to be in, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah way, to, way to rain in the new year, huh? Yeah, I can't say that things have been the best around here either between my grandmother's cancer and school driving me nuts and next week I got jury duty and it's not necessarily the best time around here either, but at least I'm going to Microsoft at the last half of this week, so I'm excited. Yeah, is it colder there or is it actually going to be warmer? Uh, From what I was looking at the weather channels um, on weather.com, they were showing mid-50s. Wednesday, it looks like it should be dry, and then the rest of the time, it looks like it's going to rain. Okay. So, so is it mid-50s where you are right now? Uh, you know, I'm honestly not real sure what it's been lately. I think it's been around 50 lately, or mm-hmm. maybe in the 40s this week, come to think about it. Uh, I've, I've got my new computer up and running, and I ha- forgot to set my location on Forecast Fox, the Firefox extension. Are you running 3.6 of Firefox? Yes. Okay. I'm liking it so far. What about you? Uh, so far I'm liking it. I'm not, I haven't really noticed much of a difference. But then again, I haven't messed with any of the like custom themes or whatever that's supposed to be big with it. Oh, the personas? Yeah. 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 I haven't messed with that either. But I just did a straight upgrade. Yeah, that's what I did. And then a couple of my extensions didn't move over, but within about 24 hours they got brought up to date, like Gmail Manager and stuff like that. But, yeah, right now I'm at a point where I'm trying to decide which browser I want to use, Firefox or Opera. And if I'm having a really off day, then maybe I'll use Chrome. What freaked me out is that uh, I I went to a website. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to Gowalla Mm -hmm. or M. Gowalla.com, which is their mobile site, but I use my desktop browser. Uh-huh. And I saw the prompt for, do you want to send this website your location? Hmm. So it's actually taking uh, advantage of um, the location awareness of HTML5, which was surprising. Yeah, I, I haven't really looked too much into HTML5. I did see a post last week where apparently YouTube has moved over to HTML5 for any browsers that support it, like Safari supports it, um, I believe Chrome supports it, and whatever um, IE extension for Chrome or whatever that is supports it and stuff like that. But I don't know, I'm also running the new Flash 10.1 Beta 2, which offloads a lot of the um, flash for streaming video and stuff onto the GPU, which has helped considerably and is a whole lot better than Beta 1. Yeah, I, I, It didn't work too well for me on my laptop. Beta 1 for me worked terrible. It was constantly crashing, not so much in Firefox, but whenever I played with it a little bit on IE, it was crashing for no reason every couple of seconds. But now that they have Beta 2 out, it seems to be a lot more stable. Well... I, I well, not just that. It's just that um, with being uh, on a laptop, mm-hmm. and I have uh, PowerPlay, 
Mm-hmm. Were. And so I would go from a plug situation like watching a video and I would unplug and it would disable the discrete and switch over to integrated. Ah. And then video would just screw up. Yeah, I've heard of several reports of that, but I've got a discrete card and everything other than my netbooks. So that's never really been much of an issue. And I'm kind of curious to actually try 10.1 on the netbooks to see how much of a difference, if anything, it makes. But it certainly seems to be impressive and a step in the right direction, but I'll be glad when we can get rid of Flash altogether, hopefully with HTML5. But from what I've heard, there's enough drawbacks in HTML5 as far as on YouTube, you can't do the little captions in the videos, and there's just a number of different things that you can't do that will keep that from overtaking Flash anytime soon, but I think this is right. a step in the right direction. Well, hopefully it's not a can't do, it's not it's a not have done yet kind of discussion. Yeah, I hope so too. But anyway, we've got quite a few stories to go this week. Um, I wanted to also tell everybody to check out the blog at globalgeeknews.com slash blog. We're posting various other news things. I didn't get too much done. Actually, I'm not sure if I posted anything last week. I was studying for finals that I had today, so not a whole lot got done on there. And I'm still working on my review of the Zune HD. So, and that, and since I'll be at Microsoft most of this week, that probably won't get out until probably middle of next week or maybe early next week. But that is still coming. And don't forget, you can also follow along at the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. And, um, okay, whatever it was I was going to say just kind of left me. (laughs) But yeah, anyway, follow along at the show notes at globalgeeknews.com, and we can go ahead and dive right into our first story, which is apparently that e-reader owners are buying more books. Yeah, um, actually, I ran into this... This issue yesterday, I was uh, reading Chris Brogan's blog, and he was doing a book review. And the um, the book, he gave it a glaring review, and I clicked the link that he had. It connected me to Amazon, and it had two prices. The price of the book uh, in paperback and the price of the book on the Kindle. And I, <laughs> I almost wanted to kick myself. I said, if I had a Kindle, I could have that book right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can totally understand how if you have an e-reader, um, you're more susceptible to the impulse buy and to um, just the ease of just saying, hey, I just want to check that out right now and just getting it. Yeah, that's kind of what I've fallen victim to with my Kindle. Is it's like, hmm, that sounds like a decent book. I just jump right on my Kindle and buy it. And before I got my Kindle, I haven't. I hadn't actually read a book since middle school. And I, I bought a few books since then, generally all uh, computer books, programming books of one kind or another, which generally, from what I can tell, those don't translate real well onto the Kindle. I mean, some do a little bit better than others, but if, for regular reading regular books, I find myself just buying them on the Kindle all the time. And mm-hmm. some of them, I, there's quite a few of them that I still haven't gotten a chance to read yet so hopefully I'll get a chance to read them on the trip this week but yeah I've compared to what I bought before which was if you count the computer books maybe a couple books a year now I'm 
buying like at least one a week a lot of times now. Although yeah, a lot and, of them are free too. And uh, personally, I like to watch movies. I'm a big movie person, um, but I've never been one to buy a lot of DVDs. Uh, one is because of the clutter, um, because I don't watch a lot of movies multiple times. But I've, but I would feel, uh, I think, more inclined to buy more books if I had a Kindle, knowing that once I read a book, I'm not having to find a place to put a book. And if you've ever moved or moved frequency, frequently, you know how much of a hassle it is to carry a whole bunch of books from one location to another. Yeah, I, I've got I don't know how many books in storage. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same way with DVDs, unless if I can find something in the bargain bin for like four bucks or something like that, or it's a TV series that I really like, then I'll buy it on DVD or Blu-ray if I can find it. But otherwise, I don't mess with it too much anymore. I, If I can find it, preferably on Netflix, I'll do that. Usually streaming is preferable to waiting for it in the mail or whatever. But, I don't know, that's part of my reason behind why I pirate as much as I do is I don't want to have 50 million DVDs and stuff laying around. Plus, a lot of the stuff that I want still isn't on DVDs. DVDs like old TV shows and stuff that can't get music rights or whatever for distribution on DVDs. So, so funny you bring that up, pirating, because that kind of goes into a self-estimation of what the value is for the media that you're consuming. So going back to the Kindle, if you spent all that money for the Kindle, do you feel like you're wasting it if you don't use it as often? So thus that might incentivize you to buy more books? Um, not necessarily. I mean, the way I've always kind of seen it is the more I buy, the faster the Kindle actually pays for itself. And mm -hmm. if I get books that are public domain books, like, say, Pride and the Prejudice or The Three Musketeers or whatever, that don't cost anything, not even the, I don't even have to pay for the over-the-air distribution costs, then then it really starts to pay for itself. So even if I never read them, if I just buy, buy those books or whatever, it still eventually pays for itself. Plus the um, unlimited free web access is kind of nice too. Mm -hmm. I still wish that I could tether it to like a laptop or something though. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> yeah, that would be really nice. But from my understanding is that when you plug in the USB, it automatically powers down the um, cellular chip. So there's, like, no way to hack around it or anything. Well, not without cracking it. Yeah. Well, as far as I know, they've been working on it for years, and they've even got Linux installed on it, and they still can't do that. So, mm. eh, someday. Now, would you pay for the New York Times, or have you paid for the New York Times subscription on your Kindle? I did there for a couple of months. I got the New York Times subscription, and and then I eventually just described. And I and I think it runs like thirteen, fourteen bucks a month. Before mm -hmm. I eventually decided that I that there's most of it that I just kind of skip over and don't read. And when I do read it, just a couple of things and or a couple articles. And there's a lot of days when I totally forget to check it out. And one of the things that I kind of don't like about the Kindle is that if you skip a day and you fire up your wireless tomorrow or whatever, it'll download that day's newspaper and you don't get to keep yesterday's newspaper. It's just automatically overwritten. So I have, so I can't go back and 
read a previous day's newspaper, which if I could do that, then I think I would be a whole lot more willing to keep a subscription to it. But right, as of right now, the only thing I pay for is Ars Technica on the Kindle. Yeah. So, so what about on the web? Would you pay for that, uh, Wall Street Journal? Uh, probably not. Cause just cause, I mean, the New York Times, sorry. New York Times. Yeah, probably not, just because usually on an average m- month, I maybe view like three, maybe four articles off of the New York Times website, and that's just because somebody else has linked to them or whatever. But usually somebody else will reblog whatever they have posted so I don't usually need to go there. Okay. So this article in slash that saying that they might erect or they're probably gonna erect a paywall. Uh do you think this is the death of the New York Times? Uh I don't know if I would necessarily go that far. I think it just kinda depends on how they work it. From my understanding is they'll allow a person to have free access to a certain number of articles every month. And then above that, you'll pay some kind of a monthly subscription fee, which they haven't said what that's going to be. And But I, I think if the number of articles per month is reasonable, say 50 or something like that, then I think that could probably be... It wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing for them. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's just where that magic number is going to hit and just how yeah. much they're going to charge for the subscription. I think that's probably why they haven't released details on how much is too much and how how much it's going to be paid once you do reach that limit. I think they're going to be doing some A-B testing here, some experimentation to figure out what that right number is. Um, and they're probably going to be keep moving that bar until they can figure out that equation. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be quite a few focus groups and stuff that they're going to run with it because... That that's one of those things where you there's got to be that key number on all maybe fifty articles and then anything above that like five dollars a month or something like mm-hmm. that. something that's not an unreasonable subscription fee that people won't pay it, but at the same time you want them to get enough free content that they feel that it would be worthwhile to actually pay for the subscription. Oh. Sorry, I just got distracted by the video on the side. Did you see this? Pat Robertson says that Haitians made a pact with the devil. Yeah, that's been all over the internet for the just about ever since the earthquake happened. Oh. Yeah, okay, all right, let's not dwell on that. It's a little on the out there side. Uh, yeah, I'm... Just, I'm not going to... I'm trying to stay calm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Have you heard from any of your relatives in Haiti? Wesley? Can you hear me? Yeah. Now I can. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I have good news and bad news. But uh, the ones that have survived, all of them lost their house. Nobody's nobody's um, with shelter right now, um, and uh, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of my family is dead. Uh, so far, I've heard of um, I have two survivors, hmm. two two cousins. Um, yeah, 
that's well, about that, it. That's too bad. How how much how many family members did you have in Haiti? A lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my my mom's from a family of twelve. Let me just put it that way. Yeah, that's a pretty good sized family. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. But yeah, and anyway, back to the story. Last week, in the uh, tip of the week, I also put up a thing for how to get around paywalled content like is on the Wall Street Journal and stuff, so I would assume it would work for the New York Times as well, where basically you take the link of the article, stick it in Google, and go to the article through Google, and then you can read the whole article and get around the whole paywall thing. The question is also, since there is a, a limit, say you can read it until... Um, it tracks that you've reached on a per user level a certain amount. Um, that means that either they're going to have to put registration up front and you have to have a registration just to get to the website. Either that or they're tracking via cookies. And so clearing your cookies could just go around this whole, um, this, this, depending on how they protect the content, could, yeah. could, uh, could be part of a way of getting around it also. Yeah, that's going to be the tricky part is if they're going to go with cookies, how are you going to make it so that people don't wipe out the cookies. Generally, if you're going to do that, you want to go with flash cookies because those are extremely hard to get rid of them. The average person, basically anybody other than the super geeks wouldn't know how to get rid of a flash cookie. Or you could do it by an IP address, but then again, if you've got multiple people in a household at the same IP address, or if you're in a company and everybody likes to look at the New York Times, that's going to use up the articles real quick. Right. So or see how or what you could do is you could use um, private browsing mode in your browser. Yeah, you could do that too. You could run Tor. That would get you around that as well. Mm-hmm. And there's a number of ways that you're going to be able to get around it. But you can use a uh, portable apps. If you can use you can use a portable Firefox. You can use a portable uh, Opera. That would mm-hmm. get around that too. Yeah, so really, I think it's going to be pretty much an ineffective way that it's just going to get um, the people who want the path of least resistance to subscribe. Mm-hmm. But speaking of ways you can get around things, apparently the Chinese hackers have been have been using IE have been using a flaw in IE six and Windows two thousand and XP to hack into places like Google and then. Today I heard that there were a number of major U.S. oil companies that were have been attacked by the Chinese. So apparently they're yeah. using a number of these older vulnerabilities that have been in the code for well over a decade to hack into all these different places, supposedly to find out um, about various Chinese dissidents and stuff. Mm. But I would doubt that they stop at that. Well, for the... You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that officially China has uh, rejected any uh, notion that they are affiliated or or um, in cahoots with the hackers that had done the attacks. That's mm-hmm. just their official word, but just want to make sure I brought that up. Um, and I know that one of the biggest problems for virus provocation, um, propagation, like in the past 
is old versions of Windows and IE. And uh, the reason why there are so many old versions of IE and of Windows in China is because of piracy. It's because um, that they can't run Windows updates and, um, and also new versions aren't as readily available. Yeah, that's one of the good things about Windows 7 is that even if you do have a pirated copy, they're still going to allow you to get the updates via Windows Update to try and minimize some of those worms and stuff that, tra- that travel because of these different flaws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I was kind of surprised that Microsoft is actually going this far as to recommend people get rid of IE6 and XP. I mean... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense for them to do it, but before they've always kind of never really up front said to move away from either IE6 or XP or whatever. I mean, a lot of netbooks and stuff still ship with XP and everything. So for them to actually say, okay, it's time to move away from this for security reasons, which, of -hmm. course, IE6 has had tons of security issues, and XP is about the most insecure operating system that you can still purchase, I just, I just what I probably should say. Um, it makes me, it kind of surprises me a little bit that they would actually go this far just because of a single security issue. Well, I think it's awesome. Uh, meaning, I think they're turning lemons into lemonade. This, this is an opportunity that we can push more sales. Uh, yeah. This is a way that we can migrate and get people off this old platform and this actually might be their out to stop supporting it. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly something that they've needed for a long time is some kind of an out to stop supporting IE6 especially and XP also to some extent. Yeah, they have to support it as much as possible. I mean, because if they do in, in enterprise lease deployments, I mean, they have contracts that they have to fulfill and agreements that they that that they would support it for a certain period of time, but for consumers and the general public, there's no reasons why that I can think of that why a consumer shouldn't upgrade to the newest version unless you're talking about money. Yeah, well, money is part of it, and then I know a lot of people are still scared about compatibility issues. Their program runs under XP, but it it didn't run under Vista, so they don't think it'll run under Windows Seven or whatever. But a lot of that stuff they can even get around. Like if you go and get the um, ultimate version of Windows 7 like I have, you've got the Windows XP, XP mode, the virtualized XP mode or whatever it is, mm-hmm. so that you can still make sure that your applications run okay. And there's one thing I've noticed that's actually kind of nice about Windows 7 is if it thinks that an install didn't go right or if there is something that threw up a flag in it that said this program might not be running the way it should be, it'll suggest you um, run it in compatibility mode with like a Vista or a XP or something like that, which is something that I think is a really nice feature of Windows 7. Mm-hmm. Vista did that too. Um, but from a consumer standpoint, like me personally anyway, I can't think of any program that I have to run that if it's not compatible, I can't find another alternative program that does the same thing. Um, as I said, this, someone's probably going to comment or uh, or write an email to me saying, oh yeah, I, I have this program and I have to run it because it runs my 
my pacemaker <laughs> mm-hmm. and I have no choice or something. But maybe for a business, but for a consumer, I, I personally don't see a reason not to upgrade. Well, it seems like to me whenever I hear compatibility issues, it's mostly with devices, pref- primarily old printers. Yeah. At the, the same time, with as expensive as printer ink is, basically I've kind of gone to the idea of after one or two refills of printer ink, toss the whole stupid printer, buy a new one, comes with usually half full things ink anyway, and then you've got the latest and greatest printer for a little for just a few bucks more than what the price of the ink cost in the first place. Yeah. Incompatible printer is nature's way of saying buy a new printer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's basically how I'm gonna be approaching it from now on is just every couple of refills on the printer, just chuck the printer and just buy a whole new one. I mean yeah. it's not like there's much in the way of things that change year to year in printers anymore. But there's still a little bit here and there that might be a nice little upgrade. For the yeah. If, one thing I've learned is that if you don't have new printer drivers, your, your device is not supported, and that thing will break in the worst time possible. Mm-hmm. And so if it's old enough that there aren't any new drivers for the new operating system, better get rid of it now. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's kind of the way I am. If, there's, if it's not supported, it's time to upgrade. That's just kind of the way I've gone to for just about everything. But speaking of devices and stuff, apparently Microsoft has, is merging the Zoom software and Xbox teams. Under yeah. The, um, oh, what's the... Enter- Entertainment group? and Devices Group. Yeah. Which I'm kind of surprised that they were never that way in the first place. Yeah, it's sad. Um that it took so long, you would think that it would even be some of the inception would be there. But this is a good move. I I applaud Microsoft on this move. Uh, this is something they needed to do, and um, I hope that they're encouraging them to work together. Um, it seems like Microsoft for a long time have had their divisions so siloed that they would even, at times, compete with each other. Yeah, this is certainly a move I would looking forward to, I'm, I was just kind of surprised it's not really happening until now, just because the um, Zoom marketplace or whatever has been available on Xbox Live since, what was it, the fall up, update for Xbox Live? Mm-hmm. Brought, like, the HD streaming and stuff for the Zoom marketplace and everything. I was kind of surprised that it hasn't happened so far, because I know the Xbox itself has... Can you can plug your Zoom into it and do some, and you can like listen to your podcast or whatever through it and everything. So I'm kind of surprised that there hasn't been that they haven't been more tightly integrated in the past. But but I think this will make for some better communication and a better overall product. Yeah, and this is also hinting that um, Zoom software is going to be coming to Windows Media Center, not just uh, as the media uh, service controller or jukebox software, but probably to the same level that they have Netflix integration in Xbox and Windows Media Center. Yeah, I I think they've always... I've always thought that they kind of needed to have a better integration between the Zoom Marketplace and Zoom Software and stuff and Windows Media Center because a lot of people aren't going to have a Zoom, which I'm not real sure what the... um, what their uh, market size is on the Zoom right now, 
I'd have to look that up. I know I've got the figures somewhere. But most people aren't going to have it. Most people probably don't even know what a Zune is. But if they were to integrate that with the Windows Media Player, they would actually, I, which I know a lot of people use, myself included, I think that that would be a great way for them to get more sales and stuff through the, through the um, Zune Marketplace. And I think that can make a whole lot better um, competitor to iTunes. I think um, you said Windows Media Player and Windows Media Center, uh, both. Yeah, both. Yeah, um, I think that a lot of people who said that they they bought iPods and then after buying an iPod they decided to buy a Mac. I think it could work the other way around. People can get familiar with the Zune software and they might move to a Zune player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've got both the first generation Zune and the Zune HD which, like I said, the review's coming on the Zune HD here hopefully in the next week or so. But I've always kind of preferred the Zune Marketplace experience to iTunes. I, I think it's just a better overall experience. I've gotten used to iTunes, but it's just not as pleasing to the eye as the Zune Marketplace is. And I think if people realized how nice the Zune Marketplace is, they would be more willing to check out the Zune and buy content from it, even if they didn't have a Zoom. Yeah. yeah. I hope they merge these quickly and swiftly, um, because Microsoft has been uh, slow to change as of late, and a lot of companies are getting the jump on them because they are late to the game. So I hope the synergy between the two teams will allow them to brainstorm and to... Because in their own right, the Xbox division is awesome. Zoom <laughs> is awesome. Windows Media Center is awesome. They, they all are awesome in their own ways. And if they could share that brain power, and hopefully um, the body will be greater than the sum of its parts. And uh, Microsoft could use this one division to be their uh, pearl and their, their gem and to help turn the whole company around. Yeah, I think the one thing they really need to do is to bring Windows Mobile, the Windows Mobile team into this group get a better integration there, and I think that would be big if they could do that. Well, we still haven't heard about what Project Pink is, and they could be already integrated. Yeah, I'm kind of curious, and, and then I believe we're supposed to hear about Windows Mobile 7 coming up at, um, uh, what is it, the World Mobile Congress in Barcelona? Mobile, 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 mobile World Congress. Yeah. It's, uh, I think... Is it the first or second week of February? But it's, I think it's the second week of February. Yeah, something like that. I believe that's kind of when that's supposed to be like announced or something like that. With any luck, maybe I'll get to check that out when I get to Microsoft this week, although I've got NDAs and stuff signed, so I'm sure I probably couldn't talk about it even if I did see it. Right. I'm hopeful anyway. Yeah. But speaking well, of... Well, you the, can't share it with everyone, but you can share it with me. I don't know about that, but <laughs> I don't think there was an exception in the that NDA, but I'll have to look again. Yeah, yeah, read it closer. <laughs> but anyway, um, speaking of the Zune and Xbox and everything, apparently there's talk of possibly finally dropping the whole Microsoft points thing, where instead of actually giving you a, a money value to purchase content like on your Xbox Live or purchase music on the Zune Marketplace or whatever, you have to use these Microsoft points. Well, now it looks like apparently they've had some success of showing the actual 
money value that you're transferring for the um, downloadable games or the games on demand for the Xbox. So maybe they're going to finally get rid of the whole Microsoft points thing as to where people can actually understand how much it, it is that they're spending on their content. Yeah, this is something they had to do if, like the previous article, if they're bringing the Zoom marketplace into uh, the Windows phone, uh, currently the the phone marketplace is dollars, and if we go back to the Zoom marketplace of points, uh, on a phone that doesn't make sense. Uh, mm-hmm. If Especially when you have third-party vendors and they set their own prices, um, that could vary uh, greatly in different increments. Uh, those are going to be discrete prices, and they're going to have to talk about half points, or you got to roll that up or roll it down. Um, and that's dictating prices from third parties. And I think that's something Microsoft doesn't want to do. Uh, and money is something that people understand. Uh, so let's. I, I, I agree with this move, and I hope it's true, but right now it's still rumor. Is that right? Yeah, it's still kind of a rumor that's just kind of been hinted at as possibly changing here in the future. I've I've never been a big fan of the whole points system, whether it's on the Xbox or it's on the Wii or whatever. As far as I'm concerned, just tell me how much money I'm spending and Mm -hmm. do it that way. Don't make me buy a set number of points as to where I go and then buy my content with the points and then have some odd number of points left over. Yeah. I've just never cared for the whole thing. It's just kind of confusing. And it sounds like it's an extra layer or some uh, extra level of friction because it's now a two-step process. I got to get the points, then I can get the item that I want. Um, with removing the point system, now you're saying, "Well, I just give you the money, and you give me what I paid for." Yeah, that it's it would be one less layer of confusion, and I think that's certainly the best way to go about it myself. But, okay, so I guess we'll uh, keep our ears open, and hopefully this is true. Maybe you can uh, get in confirmation about this later, too. I'm hoping so. This, that's Assuming I get to talk to somebody from the Zoom team or Xbox team or whatever, that's definitely going to be one of the things that I want to bring up with them and ask them is the whole points thing. That and I would like to get the podcast listed on the front page of the podcast section of the Zoom Marketplace software. That's kind of also another big goal if I get to talk to anybody about that. But when you meet with the Xbox division, could you do do, a fa- do me a favor? Hmm. Could you see if their heads look bigger? You know, from whenever I've... I don't know if I've necessarily recalled any of their heads being bigger from when I've seen him give demonstrations and stuff at like uh, E3 or anything but it uh, it's possible that they could be bigger or at least their brains could be bigger yeah it looks like this study shows that uh, better gamers have bigger brains and are better learners also yeah this doesn't surprise me too much I mean it's nice that they kind of there's a study that kind of bears this out but I've always found that games tend to help me think through things and stuff like that and learn a little bit better and be able to more like logically think through stuff. So this kind of doesn't surprise me too much and kind of justifies the past 20 plus years that I've spent playing video games. Well, the question is, does playing video games make you smarter 
or are you smarter so you play video games? I don't know. See, with with me, I started playing when I was two years old. So at that point, I don't think the brain was developed enough as to where I could have necessarily um, been a case of the brain being bigger as it was. I mean, maybe my brain was bigger than the average person's at that point. I don't know. But I, I think it's probably more a case of if you're playing games as your brain is young and still developing. that That's my own theory. Okay. So, I mean, it is a giant muscle. So maybe you're just working out the portions uh, that uh, help increase or simulate the sections that made you smarter by engaging in games at such a young age, too. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Yeah, it could be. I, it wouldn't surprise me a whole lot, but... Yeah, I'm kind of hoping they do a few more studies on this to see if they can figure out what the case is, if it's because the brains are bigger, or... I don't know, I don't see why they didn't, like, before the study started, figure out what the size of a person's brain was anyway. I wonder if if they could do the same study with elderly people... um, that have taken to the Wii. Because I've seen a lot of studies about them being more active. I wonder if they're um, measuring brain stimulus also to see if possibly um, their brain is getting bigger or smarter anyway, is a way of saying it, um, from their activity of engaging with video games. Well, I thought I've seen something in the past where it's where they've said that games and stuff will slow down like maybe the progression of Alzheimer's or something like that, or dementia or whatever. I don't know, I, this is something that definitely needs a little bit more studying, kind of like our next story. Oh, yeah. This one's kids less happy as they, uh, they're they more plugged in to TV Music Web. Yeah, I was kind of, what kind of threw me at first was how much, what they're using to determine uh, is like if a person is a light media user or heavy media user and what exactly they're determining the media to be. Um, basically, the study is saying that people or younger people that spend more amounts of time on connected to and like watching stuff on the internet, um, listen to iPods, text messaging, internet surfing. Yeah, I, I believe they didn't count like stuff like Facebook in it, but. I believe it was kind of like a combination of like video games, cell phone use, music, stuff like that. Um, how these apparently the kids that spend like I think it said like 16 hours a day is what they're considering to be a heavy media user. Mm-hmm. Um, how those people are supposedly less happy, but mm-hmm. there's no rule. There's nothing that they have saying. Is it less happy because they spend all that time on there, or is it they spend all that time on there because they're less happy? All right. Well, they said that the people who are actually more connected had more friends than people who are less connected. Um, let me give you my little theory. Okay. I think as we, as a people, get more connected, I think we're becoming more selective and the people we hang around and the people we choose to associate associate ourselves with. Um, For example, um, they said in very small towns that 
you grow up with the people in the same elementary school, middle school, high school, and even college, you just grow up with the same amount of people and you typically will have a relationship as in getting married or dating with those set of people and you feel comfortable and you don't venture out. Um, I think that um, as we get more connected, people are being more, um, or I should say, less tolerant of the people around them and are looking and seeking out for people that they can relate with and are choosing to develop those relationships. Thus, they go out, they go through college, high school, resenting the people that are continuously around them and yet reaching out and connecting with people that they feel are more, more like them. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And that's one of the, kind of one of the things where, like, in normal everyday life, I could probably count the number of friends I have on one hand. Whereas when I go online, between the people I care about on Twitter and IRC rooms, or listeners of the podcast or friends on Facebook, or whatever. I've got, like, hundreds of people that I care about for one reason or another, whether it's, um, like, similar interests or whatever. And Mm -hmm. that's part of the... And that's a very big part of it, is that around here, there's not very many people in this area with similar interests than me. I mean, there's... A couple, not very much, even out of a city of 100,000 people. But if I go online, I can find the communities very easily with people that have the same interests as me and so that I can find these people and have a whole lot better connection with them and I'm more likely to care about what they say rather than compared to the people in my real life. Right, and then the people... Um, that you, if you're in school and you're going to a traditional school every day during the week, most of the time I'm guessing you're just barely tolerating the people that you just don't like. Cause you, but you have to be around them. And that, I can see, can make you feel not as happy as someone who embraces that same situation. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just escapism. Everyone has it. It's just um, new and more... Uh, new, new and more uh, type of waves now that we have technology. Yeah. Well, speaking of escaping from things, apparently Larry and Sergey are looking to escape from Google, or at least to an extent. <laughs> uh, I read the story, and I tell you the truth, I think it's normal. I totally sub- expect them to do this. So, uh, so people who don't know, um, if you're a major executive, usually. Um, the ones that are uh, called uh, privileged, meaning that they they know uh, the inner workings of a company and their uh, actions can move stock prices. Like if someone leaves the company or if they dump a whole bunch of stock, um, how that can influence the outside world. And uh, in terms of disclosure, these uh, these set of people have to file with the SEC saying that they're going to share. I'm uh, sorry sell their stock or not mm-hmm. and Sergey and Larry uh, have filed that they're going to sell their stock and that will bring their combined share to less than 50% which uh, directly affects their voting rights and uh, sets the direction of the company which means uh, kind of like the Democrats and 
uh, in Congress, if they have a majority, it doesn't matter what anyone else says, that their votes will outweigh everyone else's. Uh, them selling stock opens the door um, for other people uh, to uh, take the majority out of their hands. But then again, I mean, this is normal for any executives, or sorry, any founders of a company. Usually they'll share, they'll um, sell uh, shares on a regular basis to slowly um, basically cash in their, on their success and to take money off the table. So I, I don't think that this is anything that's terribly special. Yeah, I know there's been a number of major executives, I believe Bill Gates being one of them, that has done this in the past where they basically sell off a number of a good number of their shares to diver, to diversify their portfolio and not have everything tied up into one company and from my understanding that's basically what's happening here where they're selling about 10 million shares which is like uh, about I think 3% of the of Google's outstanding capital stock and 11% of the voting rights of the company. And it's not like they can't, they still won't have control over the company. I mean, if there's something that they really wanted to push through, all they have to do is knock on the door of Eric Schmidt and get the extra 3% or whatever that they need of votes from him. Yeah, exactly. So I'm saying, I mean, they, they also, and at this point, are still... Um, look to as the visionaries for the company. So just like Steve Jobs, if he says that he wanted to do something, I don't think uh, a lot of people would question him, not because of his voting rights per se, but his uh, inherent understanding of the company and um, understanding where the best direction is to move the company. And I think people still have a lot of faith in Larry and Sergey, And so I don't think this is... Uh, a threat to that. Yeah, it really changes nothing other than their own personal financial situation, basically, where they yeah. get more money and can diversify their portfolio, but they still have 47% of the voting rights or whatever, so really nothing is going to change. Yeah. But speaking of major amounts of money, <laughs> Jamie Thomas has got to be a really happy person right now because apparently the monstrous award for her file sham for her file sharing has been cut by 97% down to $54,000 from coming down from 1.92 million dollars yes uh, she has to be ecstatic um, i think um, she had the book thrown at her and because of her lack of remorse and her failure to take responsibility for her own actions and I think the judge in this case felt that even still that $1.92 million was way more than was uh, fair or um, going outside the, the spirit of the law. And since she personally didn't gain or wasn't in line to gain uh, massive amounts of money for her piracy. Yeah, basically it was the RAAA and everything, trying to make an example out of her, but that's going a bit above and beyond making an example out of her. I mean, what was this, 24 songs, um, and I don't remember what the... I believe it was $80,000 a song that they fined her for. 
after the second trial. I don't remember how much she got after the first trial. But now it's basically down to uh, $2,250 per song for the 24 songs. And I guess the RIAA and everything still has options as far as if they don't like this num- new number, apparently they can go for a third trial if they want. Yeah, since uh, she's entitled or they entitled to a jury case or a jury of their peers, um, the RIAA can say that since uh, that didn't happen in this case, since a judge on his own decided to reduce the verdict, that they can appeal and uh, go to the trial to get that jury to uh, pronounce what they think it should be. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see if this has any effect on the Joel Tannenbaum case, since they're working on trying to get that verdict declared unconstitutional as basically cruel and unusual punishment because it was so large. I'm curious to see if this maybe creates some sort of a precedent for that. I hope that this actually brings more visibility to what is actually happening. Um, If this does go to a third case, uh, I think it might even go mainstream because it's such a giant leap from 1.2 million to 54,000. And uh, it was kind of in the spotlight, but it was on the fringe. Um, But having the RIAA reject this would definitely put them in a very negative light in the mainstream media. Uh, I think at this point they almost have to try and go for a third trial because by the time you're done with two trials, you've got more than $54,000 worth of legal fees invested in this. So... For them not to yeah. go for a third trial, that almost doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, I mean, they're not in it for the money. They're in it for the deterrent factor. They're in it for the 54000 I mean, I mean, the $54,000 is not much of a deterrent, but it might be enough of a deterrent uh, for a regular person. I know, I mean, that 54000 is a lot of money that I wouldn't be able to pony up. $1.92 million is something that just now sounds like fairy money. Like, who? how many times is this going to happen? But fifty four thousand sounds like something they would, you know, be able to get over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how this plays out. I've got a feeling that they're probably going to push it to a third trial, but who knows? That's just because they're evil people. Yeah, knowing them, they probably would. Yeah, but speaking of things that going on in court, apparently the uh, court has ruled that spammers can't hide behind who is privacy things that their um, web providers offer. This is good. Um, as people know that there, when you register a domain, you can choose to set it private and none of the information is disclosed. When people query who's the owner of the domain, you basically get a reference saying who the registrar was and to contact them for as a third party to get the information instead of doing a query and getting it directly off the internet. Um, what this judge is saying in this court of appeals, the Ninth Circuit is determining that you can't hide your identity for nefarious purposes. If you're protecting yourself because uh, you, you uh, for legitimate reasons, fine. If you're protecting yourself just because you want to use it as another method of hiding who you are so you can disguise yourself better, that's illegal. Yeah, and when I first um, registered Global Geek News and Geek News Daily and PCNerd37.com and all my other sites, 
I've always used the Who Is Privacy stuff, basically just because it was free. Now that they've... And I had no reason not to, no real reason to do it. But um, now I don't mess with it anymore because Host Monster is now charging like 10 bucks a year or something like that to keep the privacy settings. So it's... I've... It's nothing that I think is really crucial, but at the same time, I think something like that might be important for people like running torrent sites or something like a WikiLeaks or something like that. Or an Apple who registers something like Isolate, and they don't want to know. They don't want people to know who owns it. Yeah, yeah. That that's always kind of been a big one. I know over the years, it's always kind of interesting to see what products might come out because of companies that register domain names. I know in the past I've, like I've mentioned a number of times on the show, I used to be a real big member in the Command & Conquer gaming community. Well, there would always be people that just kind of would guess future game titles like Red Alert 3 or whatever, and then put in the domain, and lo and behold, it was registered by EA and points to the EA's website or something like that. So... A lot of times it would, we would see it as a big indication of what a future game is going to be, or that there will be a future game, or what something like that. So, it can be, I suppose, useful in some situations like that. But anyway, might as well hit our final story. We're kind of running the, well, we're running close on time. Yeah. But apparently, Hulu is con- is I guess we're back to the speculation of a Hulu subscription fee. So apparently yep. they're considering a $5 monthly fee for older TV episodes. We talked about this, but we didn't talk about a number or a quantity. seems like the quantity is still in question. Well, this whole thing is speculation anyway, but um, $5 seems pretty solid in this report that it would be for back catalog episodes of current shows. Yeah, apparently of at least 20 shows, but it, that really kind of comes down to what 20 shows or what 20 plus shows is it? Is it stuff that people want to see or don't want to see. I think right. that's kind of where it's going to fall as to where if people are actually going to want to pay a monthly fee. Yeah, it's funny that it's monthly. Like, if you just want to watch one show, I guess you get granted uh, uh, access to all the catalogs for, mm-hmm. for that whole month. I mean, because it says 20 shows. So is it just, are you getting a monthly subscription to that show? Or is it monthly subscription to Hulu? Uh, monthly subscription to Hulu, as far as I understand it. Okay, because they're talking about twenty back episodes. Because like, I would hate to pay five bucks and get all the back catalog for Lost, and then see you know twenty four, click on that, and then have to pay another twenty bucks. I'm sorry, another five bucks to get the first few episodes of that. Um, but uh, if it's five dollars for the whole entire site. Um, you put a good front end on this, a good, good, you know, Hulu bump up Hulu desktop about a, a bit, and I think this would be good. Yeah, I I think it could be good as long as it's not made in some kind of a confusing way or whatever. One of my biggest complaints about Hulu in the past has always been the fact that basically a lot of times shows that are still airing new episodes, basically anything over four episodes old, they take off of there. Or 
some older TV shows, they'll have some episodes of a season or maybe like season three, but not one seasons one and two or something, just something really goofy like that. And essentially that's why I pirate everything when it comes to TV shows. Oh yeah. It's by the way, simpler. if, if you're doing this, the $5, no hmm. ads. Now that might make me like Hulu a little bit more. If you, if I'm paying five bucks, I don't want to see any ads. Yeah, that that's also one of my other reasons for pirating everything is that way I don't have to waste my time watching commercials. Right. But that's just kind of the way I am. That's more reason behind why I pirate pretty much everything when it comes to TV shows unless I want to buy something like a whole series on DVD or whatever, yeah. which, which I do on a fairly regular basis. But when I'm just and- wanting off episodes or something like that, then I'll pirate. And Hulu everywhere. So Hulu on your Zune, Hulu on an iPhone. Yeah, that's going to be, I think, the key to their mass growth is having Hulu on things like built into TVs that are connected to the internet, having it on the Zune, having it on the iPhone, having it on Blackberries, on Android devices, stuff like that. They've got to try and be as everywhere as they can be. Yeah. That's the only way it will work. Take the Netflix Scorch Earth model. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that pretty much wraps up all of our stories. We have our tips of the week, which this week I got a couple of blog-related tips. One of them is 10 blog post topics that anybody can use. Basically do things like answer frequently asked questions with details and photos, ask questions to your readers, um, create lists of links on various topics, um, simplify something that a lot of people find difficult, which that's usually really good for um, getting links off of search engines and stuff if you do like how-to guides. Those Those tend to really help out a lot on the search engine traffic. And there's basically things like you can add your thoughts on other writers' blog posts and interview people, stuff like that. And then the second one is 18 blog tips to help you succeed in 2010. Um, Basically, everything from commenting smartly and consistently to showing your personality while you're writing, um, studying SEO, all kinds of different tips on how to help your blog grow in the next year, which I assume you could probably use it for any years after that, but they just have it listed for 2010. But anyway, those are the links, which you will also find alongside these stories in the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. Don't forget to check out the blog, globalgeeknews.com slash blog, and I expect to be um, blogging a number of different things from my trip to Microsoft, and that's where those will be posted, is at the Global Geek News blog. And I can't think of much of anything else. And don't forget, if you'd like to donate to the show, help us um, upgrade our equipment, pay our hosting fees, stuff like that, There, you can go to globalgeeknews.com slash donations, or you can hit the donations link on glo- at globalgeeknews.com. And any donations over 10 bucks, you get your link posted there. Any donations, I think it's over 20 or 25 bucks. You'll get a shout-out on the show, as well as your link and 
whatever else, and I'm still working on trying to get like T-shirts and stuff for anything like over a hundred bucks or something like that. But that's still a week or two out, I think. But anyway, that is our show for this week. Anything you'd like to say before we wrap up? Uh, no, um, I guess um, it's good to be back, uh, and hopefully uh, I'll be back next week. Yeah, last week's absence was, or, well, actually, there was no show last week, which I apologize for. The week before was, it was different. That was the first solo show I've done in, I think, a year, year and a half, something like that. It's kind of a good experience to have. It kind of makes me more want to get the Geek News Daily show up and running again. I kind of forgot how much I enjoy doing the occasional solo show, but I... Are you you kicking me off? No. Am I... Being fired is, is oh no is, is this is this happening right now? <laughs> no, I prefer I prefer it with you, and I prefer it when we have guests too. But I do kind of enjoy the solo shows. I feel like I can judge myself and how I do a whole lot better when I have a when I do a solo show. That's kind of why I'm looking at bringing the Geek News Daily podcast back. Okay, but well, plus I've got ideas for a couple other shows. It's just kind of have to wait for everything to kind of calm down maybe in the next month or so I can get something back up and running again but anyway don't forget you can follow us on Twitter we are at Global Geek News or you, if you want to follow me directly I am at PCNerd37 or Wesley is at Wesley83 and you can also find Wesley's bloggings at Wesley83 at posterous.com is that right? Posterous yes Posterous, posterous, all the same thing to me. I don't care. <laughs> but anyway, we will see you guys next week. Later.